Please turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12. Luke, chapter 12. This morning, we're going to read verses 13 through 33. So Luke, chapter 12. We're going to start reading at verse 13, and we're going to read down to the end of verse 30, sorry, 34, 34. Luke 12, 13 through 34. This is the word of God. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge and an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Then Jesus said to his disciples, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn. Yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wild flowers grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? Do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things, and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, there's um, I, I must confess, I didn't do a very good job with the announcements earlier, and I apologize for that. But a special announcement now is begging to be made, which I need to make. Phil and Jess are here, and it is always so special for me to see them. I just wanted to center them out. So, But not only that, but Toby is here as well uh, this morning. So, 
And so we're just so thankful uh, to God uh, for his answers to prayer and for his watch and care uh, over the St. Pierre family. And they didn't ask me to do this, but I am just going to suggest, and they can, when you talk to them afterwards, they can override me on this, of course. But uh, I'm just going to suggest that uh, just with uh, Toby being here, uh, we don't need to be passing him around like a football uh, this morning. And of course, yes, everyone wants uh, to hold him, but you don't always get what you want in life. So you can be patient, okay? So we are thankful to God, uh, very thankful that they're here. Uh, but we just need to be uh, just careful of the immune system and germs. And so we're just going to let uh, Jess and Phil hold them uh, this morning, if that's okay with you. All right, before we uh, look at this passage together, let's pray. Our Father, you are a great God. Uh, you are the God who reigns over all things in heaven. And we often do not really think of you as we ought. We do not consider you uh, throughout our daily moments as we ought. And we are often uh, simply lax when it comes to prayer and talking to you. This immense privilege you have blessed us with that we have an audience with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And yet, Lord, we are reminded, even this morning, with Toby being here, we are reminded that you are a God who does answer prayer. Uh, you are a God who blesses. You are a God who gives strength. You are a Father who is in heaven highly exalted, transcendent, but you are also a Father who is imminent. You are close to us. You love us. You care for us. And so, Father, I pray that you will help us to pray, to pray uh, believingly, uh, to pray for your glory, to pray for the holiness of your name, that your name will be hallowed, uh, to pray with your kingdom in mind that your kingdom will come, that we will see the consummation of your rule and reign over all things, and that until that time when the Lord Jesus Christ returns, that we will see the kingdom uh, of God going forth, driving out the kingdom of darkness. Uh, Father, you can do this. You are doing this even now. You are at work in this world. And we pray that we will see more of it. We pray that we will see uh, victories here in this place, in this church, and in this city. Uh, Lord, we pray that we, we will be part of a mighty movement of your Holy Spirit, uh, purifying us and cleansing us and leading us to forgiveness of sin through Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray for those who are going to be uh, attending university uh, we pray, Lord, that uh, even now you will be that you will be preparing all of their hearts. If they are your children, I pray that you will prepare them uh, for the challenges that they will face. Keep them strong. Help them to find uh, fellowship and joy with other believers, but most importantly, with you through your Word. Pray that you will help us as a church to connect with uh, university students, to be a support to them and a help to them, uh, to be a blessing to them. And Father, for the many, many who are gathering for post-secondary education who do not know you, we pray that they will not go through their uh, degree years without coming to know you. Uh, we pray that you will put Christians across their path, that you will put uh, literature across their path. Help them to hear the gospel, uh, to be exposed to the claims of Jesus Christ. Help them to come to the truth, to actually understand reality uh, centered on Jesus and Father, we pray that we will see uh, many people, many young people, 
uh, come to know you this year uh, through the campus ministries. I pray that you will uh, bless and equip and empower uh, staff and students who work in those ministries. Father, we just pray for a harvest of righteousness. You are a great God. You deserve a whole world and more praising you. And we pray that people will be converted to that end. Watch us now as we open your word. Guide us by your spirit. Help us to be accurate. Help us to be truthful. Help us to apply your word properly in all of our contexts. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, if you were here last week, uh, we went through Luke 12, 1 through 12. And in that section, uh, Jesus is teaching a crowd of many thousands. And he begins by warning them about hypocrisy. Do not be a hypocrite because everything is going to be exposed in the end. You can fool a lot of other people. You can fool yourself. You cannot fool God. God knows you intimately. He knows you thoroughly. He knows everything about you. He even knows the motives that underlie the external good behavior. And all of that will be exposed. It's not hidden in the sight of God. And so there's no point being a hypocrite. Uh, The only person who it matters, uh, the only person whose opinion matters is God. And so you can't fool God. So there's no point trying to fool other people. And then Jesus goes on to say, I tell you, do not be afraid of those who can kill the body, but who cannot do anything after that. This is very counterintuitive for us because being killed is probably the thing we fear the most, right? So if I don't need to fear the people who can kill me, I don't need to fear anything, right? Except... The one who, after my body is dead, has the authority to cast me into hell. That's what Jesus says. These are his words to a crowd of thousands of people. He's not pulling any punches, clearly. And so then Jesus says, if you will acknowledge me before men, I will acknowledge you before the Father and the glory of all the angels. And so what you're being told here is that you have nothing to worry about. You have nothing to fear if you fear God. That is, if you take God seriously, if you revere him, if you honor him, if you have received his son and the gift of his son, then you have nothing to fear because your soul, your real essence, your very life is united with Christ. And on the day of resurrection, you will receive a glorified body to reign with the Lord in a new heavens and new earth forever and ever. And so that's your future. Now, I realize it's Labor Day. I realize everyone's tired presumably from laboring all summer, which is why we need a day celebrating labor. But if your eternal destiny is unite is union with Christ in a resurrected body, in a glorified new heavens and new earth, so you literally have nothing to fear and worry about even death itself, then not because I'm saying it, but because Jesus says that, that should probably at least elicit some sort of internal response inside of your heart. Uh, there should be something. Oh, really? Well, well, that's well, that's pretty neat. But the Blue Jays play this afternoon, so I'm more excited about that. I mean, there, there should be some engagement with the truth of Jesus. There should be some, you know, excitement about what Jesus has done for us. Uh, there should be things in our heart where, where when we're told that you know we are united with Jesus Christ, that we have an eternal destiny and a new heavens and new earth with no sin, no curse, no shame, no death. That's a, a, a marvelous thing. And not only that, uh, but we also, and this is the least of it all, is that we do not get what we do deserve, which is hell. 
Uh, every one of us should be very conscious of the gift of Jesus Christ saving us from something. Sometimes wonder, well, what, is, what does the salvation language even mean? Well, you can't be saved unless you're rescued out of danger. Uh, like To be saved is a positive status, but we're, we have a positive status because we've been liberated and brought out of a negative status. That is, we've been saved from something to something else. And we've been saved from sin and Satan and death and hell to glory and purity and holiness and Christ and God the Father and glory and angels and a new heavens and new earth. That's a pretty good exchange. And it was all grace. It was absolutely a free gift to us. It cost Jesus Christ his life and the wrath of God and his blood and is freely offered to us. Now, Jesus says these sorts of things. In verse 13, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, this, in a horrifically perverse way, actually gives me hope when it comes to preaching. Jesus Christ himself is talking to people about eternal issues. He is talking to them about heaven and hell, about death, about fear of God, about acknowledging him, about being disowned before the Son of Man, about being received by the Son of Man. He is talking about all of that stuff. Jesus Christ, God incarnate in the flesh, addressing this crowd about those things. And someone sitting there is going, oh man, I really... like." I really hope that my brother, you know, splits the inheritance with me. Like his whole mindset is on temporal possessions rather than the eternal state of his soul. And I just wonder how often that's exactly what's going on in our minds when we're looking at the word of God. Maybe not an inheritance, but maybe work tomorrow. Maybe the ball game this afternoon or last night. Maybe, you know, whether or not you, you set the timer perfectly for the roast beef you're having later or whatever. I mean, how many times do temporal, worldly things fill our minds when we come to the word of God? Jesus Christ himself speaking to people about their eternal soul and all this guy can do, probably representative of a lot of people in the crowd. All he cares about is what's going on here and now. Not even not even listening to Jesus. I mean, how can you actually listen to that message and the first thing out of your mouth is, hey teacher, thanks for telling me to avoid hell, but can you really, you know what I'm really interested in is the inheritance. It's just crazy. So this is something that we need to be careful of ourselves though. Because we're told earlier in the parable of the sower, the worries of life, riches and pleasure are thorns that when the word of God is being sown and when the word of God is growing, they come in and they choke out the plant. They squeeze out its life. And here we see someone, frankly, exhibiting exactly that sort of mentality. Or perhaps even worse, perhaps even the hard heart where, where the sea just sits lightly on the, uh, sort of on the path and, and the birds come down and snatch it away so that they may not hear and be saved, Jesus says. And here's someone, he's not even listening to Jesus. Just waiting for his time to ask for something about material goods. So that Jesus says to him, verse 14, listen, who, 
Who told you to come to me about this? And then he said, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Be on your guard is a very strong warning. Greed, all kinds of greed, are depicted as an enemy, like an an enemy army, always advancing on your position. And you need to set up a guard against it. You need to have forces. You need to have an army ready in defense because greed is very subtle. Greed will chip away at us in all kinds of ways. There's all kinds of manifestations of it. In fact, I think probably for a lot of us, and actually, I don't know, this is, this is my heart, so I don't know if this is representative of, of you. I tend not to actually care about being super rich. And I think I don't care about being super rich because I'm never going to be super rich. I've just come to accept it. So like, to me, like the lifestyles of the rich and famous, that's not going to happen for me. And I've just sort of let that one go, right? So when I see people who have super luxury yachts and, you know, 90 homes around the world or whatever it is, I'm actually not really jealous of that. I mean, how do you even live in 90 homes? That's ridiculous. So I, I don't worry about that. What I would tend to be more bothered by is people roughly my age, roughly same sort of social economic demographic who seem to have more. So it's not that I really want the Ferrari, unless you're looking for an awesome Christmas present for your pastor, then you can do that. Like, I'm not really like thinking about the Ferrari, but it's just, it's just the little things, people who just have a little bit more, people who just have a little bit nicer. And so when it comes to greed and covetousness, that's, it's sort of more people like me, you know, in my stage of life that I kind of look to, not not the elite or whatever it is. So greed can be very subtle. Uh, it, can, it can come in all kinds of little ways. You know? And so Jesus says, you need to be on your guard against it. You need to have an army ready to meet that force because greed will get you to think about the here and now. A person's life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Now, this may be one of the most directly applicable verses in the Gospel of Luke to our society. There has never been a society in the history of the world that is more consumer-focused than ours. So if anyone has needed to hear this exact quote, it's us. Your life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. It does not consist in what you have. I mean, just just try to float that out seriously around Christmas time. Like, Like, just stamp that verse on the bottom of the Sears Christmas wish book. Do they even still produce that anymore? I have no idea. But, uh, you know, just this is so antithetical to everything our society is about. And our society is driven by buying more and throwing away perfectly good stuff because it's older. We, we, we just upgrade, always upgrade. This stuff still works. But we want more. We want better. We want the latest. We're, we're just driven 
to get more and more and more and more and more. And people's identity begins to hinge and their happiness begins to hinge on how much stuff they get. So there are people who, I mean, the word shopaholic is overused, but actually is a reasonable designation for some types of people, where there are people who actually have sort of chemical endorphin rushes at the mall when they're buying stuff. They're like addicted to buying and just buying more and more and more and more makes them feel happy. And it's almost like it has the same sort of addictive power as drugs. So you need, then you need to start buying more and more and bigger and bigger and more and more expensive stuff to get the same kind of rush. Material consumerism is a drug for some people in our society. That's insanity. To get to a point that we live in a society where people can spend and buy that way to sort of try to fill up meaning and purpose and excitement and it's just so sad. And so that Jesus gives us warning, your life does not consist in what you have. Now, if we were to be followed around for a month, would people see us being more excited about stuff or more excited about the word of God? What would they see? Would they see us more excited about, you know, the new sweater or whatever? Or would they see us more excited about the opportunity to share our faith? Would they see us pouring over stuff, you know, for online shopping? Or would they see us pouring over the word of God? I mean, where is your heart? And that's why at the end, Jesus will say, verse 34, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Because it's very interesting He doesn't say where your heart is, that's where your treasure will be. He says where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. In other words, you can say whatever you want, but the things that you really care about, that's where your heart is. That's where you really are. So you can say all day long, oh, my, my treasure's in heaven, my heart, my, or my heart is in heaven, I love the Lord. But if your life really is sort of chasing material goods and possessions here in this world, then Jesus says, your heart's not there because your treasure is here and your heart is where your treasure is. Small wonder then that Jesus says, be on your guard. In other words, take this seriously. And, and for us, again, there has never been a people who need to take this more seriously than we do. Because this is the air that we breathe. This is the atmosphere that we live in. I mean, it's almost impossible for us to even sort of counter-culturally step away from the same sorts of materialistically driven society mentalities that the pagan world is running after. And so Christians functionally, in many ways, look like the world and and talk like the world and spend like the world and we shouldn't in fact one of the reasons that persecution I mean there's different ways of persecution one of the reasons that persecution uh, broke out in the early church was because people got saved and there were some regions where enough people became Christians and they started using their money to help the poor and to help people go out with the gospel. They started spending their money so differently instead of just buying stuff that it actually shifted how the economies in their region functioned. 
and drew the attention of the government who came in to straighten things out. What an amazing thing that is. That commitment to Christ totally changed the spending habits of whole communities of people. And because they saw it took Jesus very seriously, life just doesn't consist in an abundance of possessions. And I think at some point, honestly, in our society, it really is worth asking this question. At what point do you have enough? How much does it honestly take before a family of four has enough? At what point, what, what more, or I'll say it this way, what do we need to add to our possessions until we have enough? Like, what are we lacking? Uh, what is it that I really need because I'm really missing this? I really need to add this. Then there will be enough. But, but surely there has to come a time when there's enough. There has to come a time when we just realize adding something else isn't going to actually do anything with my life. And this is the whole issue too, right? Those possessions. Possessions can be tools, and every possession should be a tool used for the kingdom of God. Received as a blessing from his hand, but that can be very quickly perverted into just receiving blessings and just really for yourself. But everything that you receive should be sort of self-consciously received from the hand of God as a steward. What does God want me to do with my money? What does God want me to do with my stuff? Because everything is from him and everything is for him. Everything is to him. And so it requires a complete reorientation in life. How much do I need before I can be satisfied? So this is the, this is sort of the theory. And then to illustrate it, Jesus tells this parable about this Rich man. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. Now notice that. The ground of a rich man yielded an abundant harvest. There is absolutely no such thing as a self-made man or a self-made woman. This rich man is rich because the ground that the Lord created yielded a harvest. If it wasn't for the blessing of God on the ground there would be no harvest, there would be no riches. Now you just need to understand that. Our entire economy, if you break it down, in the end, reduces to using the natural resources that God has built into his created order. We are 100% dependent on what God has done, what God has made, and the skills and abilities God has given us. So in the end, we are completely dependent on God for all that we have. And we need to recognize that it is not the rich man who yielded a harvest. It is the ground that yielded the harvest. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And notice all of the first person pronouns. Notice this inner monologue. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops that he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. In other words, he receives the blessing of God. And all he can do is, in his profound self-centeredness is think about himself. It's my crops, my barns, my stuff. What am I going to do with my stuff? I'm going to use it for me. This is a guy who... Um, has a retirement plan. This is a guy who's saying, Freedom 55, here I come. 
I'm going to, I'm going to store up and then I'm going to have enough for me and I'm going to have extra that I can sit back and take life easy. I'm going to retire. And when I retire, it's time to take care of myself. Notice there isn't one word here of thankfulness to God. There isn't one word of, oh, the Lord is the Lord has blessed me with such an abundance. I don't even know where to begin. I can't even store it. There are poor people. There are people without food. There are people without clothes. How can I, maybe I can, what, what amount of my grain can I sell to get money to help people? Uh, who do I know who needs some food? It's all about me and the more I get, the more I have for myself. That is completely antithetical to the priorities of Jesus Christ, it must be completely antithetical for the followers of Jesus Christ. That is, we must not have that mentality. God blesses us to be a conduit of blessing to other people. But God said to him, notice it doesn't matter what he says to himself. The only thing that matters is what God says. But God said to him, you fool. And in the Old Testament wisdom literature, a fool is someone who's morally wicked, who goes through life without proper reference to God. You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Now listen, this man did not plan on dying that very night. And none of us really plan on dying. Many of us know that it's inevitable and yet somehow still manage to sort of live with this illusion that somehow our time is sort of endless here in this world, but it's not. This is one of those things that we just need to come to terms with. We are all going to die. There is going to be a day when God demands your life from you. There will be that time when you stand before him. Whether you're young or whether you're old, we don't know when that day will be, but you need to be prepared by knowing Jesus Christ. Who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Now, sort of the, the idea probably is, who's going to get what you've prepared for yourself? All of those people you should have been sharing it with in the first place. In other words, well, there's going to be all these, this, this huge harvest field full of grain. You're dead. Who's going to get it? It's the people who need it. And so God has a way also of moving possessions around you know, to those who actually have need. And then Jesus says, this, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Whoever, whether they go to church or not, whoever stores up stuff for themselves, rather than using their material goods to be rich toward God, that is how it will be for whoever is like that. Then Jesus said to his disciples, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. Now, there's a very interesting connection here with this therefore. Jesus turns from greed and selfishness to worry in the next section. So the, the previous section that we just looked at is about greed and selfishness. Now he's talking about worry. And as one commentator said, I think very helpfully, um, greed can never get enough. Worry is afraid it may not have enough. That's a very helpful way of, of phrasing it. Greed can never get enough. Worry is afraid it may not have enough. And I wonder, honestly, for some of us, if greed and selfishness or worry is sort of more predominant in our lives. 
So we probably all struggle with, we all wrestle with both, probably. But is there a sense in which there may be some people who really are just more covetous and greedy and selfish, but they have lots, they're not all that worried about it. Whereas there might be other people who, who really, you know, they're, they're not actually all that greedy, but they're sort of constantly worrying. Do I have enough? What if the economy, you know, has a downturn? What if my investments, you know, shrivel up? What if there's runaway inflation? What if, what if, what if? And they're always worried. Am I going to be protected? Am I going to be okay? You know, so greed and worry, these both frankly showing lack of faith in what God himself will provide. Worry is obviously the, the central issue, and it's about basic life stuff, food, clothing, and basic needs. So I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will wear. Life is more than food, the body more than clothes. He tells you, look at the birds. You know, they don't have barns. And this actually should be something pretty obvious. Uh, bir- birds do not have barns. They don't plant, they don't sow, they don't, but God feeds them. Well, how can God feed them? You know, they don't have a retirement portfolio. Well, God feeds them because he cares about them, right? And so it's all coming back to how, how can you be content with what God gives you without being greedy for more? How can you stop worrying about whether or not you have enough? It doesn't hinge on how much stuff you have. Because I actually think that, that even people who have lots and lots and lots and lots of stuff and money worry, a lot of them worry too. In fact, a lot of them have extra worries. Uh, because they, they have a sort of a lifestyle they're trying to fund, right? And, and all of the rest. Whereas both of these things, greed and worry, they're both destroyed on the same rock. And, and that rock is the fatherhood of God. Your father will give you what you need. Your father will take care of you. And so if you actually recognize that you have a father in heaven who loves you and who's sovereign over all things, you don't need to be greedy for more. He'll give you what you need. And you don't need to worry if he's going to take care of you in the future. He's not going to stop. He's been faithful until now. You are more valuable than words. Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? In fact, if you talk to doctors, worrying is not going to add hours to your life. It's going to do the exact opposite. You know, since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? And Jesus says, listen, stop living with the illusion that you have control over your life. You don't. So don't worry about it. You know, you're, don't worry about death. You're going to die. You may as well just stop worrying about it. Just check that off. It's going to happen. It's inevitable not to worry. I love this actually in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew's Gospel. Jesus preaching about not worrying. And I should say this too. Do not worry is not advice. It is a command from the mouth of Jesus Christ. So therefore, worrying is sinful. Hear that. Worrying betrays lack of faith. And lack of faith is sin. So we don't tend to run around, you know, bragging in the church about, you know, stealing. But there's all kinds of people who in the church run around bragging about, oh, I just worry about, worry about this. And it's not okay. It's not okay to worry. Worrying shows doubt in your father's provision. Okay? If there are things we can be concerned about, we are not to be worriers. We are to be men and women and boys and girls of faith who trust our heavenly father. And in that sense, we are completely the opposite of the world. The world lives in worry. Christians have no reason to because we know our eternal destination and we know that our lives are in the father's hands. Solomon, in all his life, was not dressed like a flower. 
He will clothe you, you of little faith. In verse 29, do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things, and your father knows that you need them. In other words, God, your father knows better than you do what you actually need. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. So the world is just running around after stuff and security in stuff. And Jesus says, you are not to be like the world. You're to be the opposite of the world. You are not to care about an abundance of possessions. You are not to be, your, your gravity is not to be here on earth with stuff. You don't have to worry about food and drink and clothes and all the rest. Your father knows what you need. Trust your father to provide for you. And, and if you wonder if the father will provide for you, look at the birds, look at the flowers, look at the grass. God provides for his creation and you are the pinnacle of his creation, Genesis 6. You are the one who bears his image. He cares about you. Far more than anything else. So trust him. Like, just relax. You, by worrying, you are not going to change how the universe is governed. But I have news for you. If you change how God governs the universe, it would not be an improvement. You cannot govern the universe better than God. And I think sometimes we think that we could. Oh, if I was, you know, I would make, these are the changes I would make. Listen, if you would do things differently from God, it is not high praise to you. Okay? God is the one who is perfectly capable of running the show. Trust him. Trust him. Do not be afraid. Verse 32. Stop being afraid. That's a command. Do not be afraid. Little flock, diminutive, you don't have any power. You're just really small. You're just little sheep. You'll just get eaten alive in five seconds flat out in the real world. So don't worry about it. You're helpless and vulnerable and useless. You can't do anything to protect yourself. There you go. Stop worrying. Don't be afraid. Why are you afraid? You're just a sheep surrounded by wolves. What do you have to fear? Well, how does that work? Sheep have nothing to fear when they have a good shepherd. Sheep have nothing to, sh nothing to fear when the Lord, when Yahweh is my shepherd, I shall not want. Right? When the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And then we don't have a dead shepherd, because that's not very helpful either. We have a good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. But this command I received from my father, I have authority to lay down my life and also to do what? Pick it up again. And so we have a shepherd who death can't conquer. So what do we have to be afraid? Stop being afraid. You're a little helpless flock of sheep, but you're God's sheep. We are his flock. We are his sheep. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture, Psalm 100. So why do we have no fear? It's not because of us. Listen, I have to be honest. If it was just us, like, it would be time to head for the hills. Like, you want to talk about worry? You want to talk about fear? If it was just us, fear makes sense. If it's just us, worrying makes sense. All of these things make sense, but it doesn't make sense because of God the Father. So don't be afraid, little flock of sheep, for your Father has been pleased to give you a kingdom, an eternal kingdom. His rule and reign is given to you. It is a gift to you. You don't earn it. You can't earn it. You deserve hell. Remember what Jesus talked about before this. What you deserve is hell. What you are given is an eternal kingdom. So why? 
why are you spending so much time worried about material stuff in this world? It doesn't make any sense. And this is what Jesus is always doing, and this is what the Bible is doing. This is when I when I prayed, I really meant it. That I, I try to mean things when I pray them sometimes. And like I really meant it this morning when I was praying for the university students. I don't want them to just decide to believe the things we believe. I want them to know the truth. And this is truth. And so all the Bible is doing, in one sense, is all it is doing it is saying, okay, align how you think and feel and what you do with reality. Just do that. Live your life in light of truth. And that's what Jesus is doing here. Live your light in, live your life in light of truth. What does that mean? I mean, stop worrying, trust God, live for the kingdom. Like if you believe it, then live for glory, don't live for now. And if you don't believe it, then live for now, but don't, don't, don't try to go back and forth. Commit. Live your life fully and expressly for God. He gives you a kingdom. In fact, he, Jesus then applies it this way. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. And I just, I just throw this out there. When have you ever done that? When have you ever done that? He is addressing a crowd of thousands. This is not the rich young ruler telling him to sell everything. It's not a case specific thing. This is something he says. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. When have you ever done that? I'm not saying you haven't. I don't know. When have you ever done that? When have you ever said, I'm going to pick up an extra shift at work so I have money to give to missions? When have you ever done that? I'm not saying you haven't. I don't have no idea. Um, actually, and, and a lot of things are, are better caught than taught. Uh, my my dad uh, retired a few years ago as an elementary school teacher. And for just for a couple years, uh, he was doing supply teaching. And he would... Um, he stopped actually supply teaching because he felt so badly for people who had graduated teachers college who were trying to get in. They said, you know, we've got, we got all these retired teachers on full pensions who are taking all the teaching days. So he said, I'm just going to stop. It's not fair for these young kids. But he would say, and when I was, when I'd go on missions trips or whatnot, he'd say, okay, all right, um, I'm going to, I'm going to pick up a couple supply teaching shifts so you can go on the trip. So, so, that's the sort of thing we do to help get the gospel. And it's not, I can pick up more money for me. It's God has given me an opportunity to work so I can get more stuff to be a blessing to other people. So we can further the kingdom, the kingdom around the world. So we can send out gospel missionaries. So we can feed the poor, sell your possessions, work an extra shift, cut back on your expenses so you have more to give, not just so you have more saved up in the bank. I'm not against saving. Proverbs talks about that. I'm not against retirement. I'm not against that. But there's a fundamental orientation in Jesus' universe that says, I will live my life for glory and not for now. And so we're stewards of stuff, but our hearts aren't bound up with it. As Paul says, we use the things of the world, but not as those who are captivated or, or captured by them. There's all the difference in the world. The attitude that you have, but be on your guard. Because we can justify anything. Oh, be careful, be careful in your heart that you really are watching out against all kinds of greed. Provide purses for yourself that will not wear a treasure in heaven that will never fail. For where your treasure is there, your heart will be also.
we need to hear this today. May, may God help us in our society to hear this and then to go out and put it into practice, to go out and actually do it, not just agree with it theoretically, but to apply it uh, in practice. Do you have any doubt that the Father will take care of you? Let this communion this morning forever and ever end that fear. This is what he has done for you. He has given you his son. As Paul says in Romans 8, 31 and 32, what then shall we say in response to all these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but graciously gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him freely give us all things? Seek first his kingdom, the rest is just added. And the glorious thing is you don't even really care. Because compared to what the kingdom is, compared to what Jesus Christ has for us, like, what's a new shirt? Right? What's, what's a slightly bigger home? And what, is, what are these things? In proportion and comparison to Jesus. So do not be afraid, little flock. Your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom through the blood of his son. And if this will not suffice to show you the love and grace of God, then nothing will. This will be enough or nothing will be enough. But take this as the great sign from God. You do not need to fear. You do not need to worry. He has accepted you and loved you and Christ has died for you while you were still a sinner. He did this for you. I'm going to ask the the gentleman to come forward. We're going to be helping distribute communion uh, this morning. Anyone else just take a moment just to reflect and to pray and ask the Lord to prepare your heart. We ask that you will help us to truly see and believe and live out that you call us not to put our trust and our heart in material things because they're not good enough for us. You have something better for us. You call us to forsake what is in many ways good for what is infinitely better. And Father, I pray that you'll help us to do that. Help us this morning to see with fresh vision your kingdom and glory and splendor. Help us, Lord, as we eat the bread to remember this is your body that you broke for us on the cross. This is the body that was pierced. This is the human body that you took upon yourself so that you could have a human body to die with for our sake. And help us in seeing the atonement and knowing that it's motivated by your love. Help us never to be afraid or to worry again. For we ask it in the name of the one who died for us. Amen.